we can't turn the crisis off. So how do we create a very simple structure to get us through the day to day rather than spin around, second guess and debate all the time? Welcome to the Look Left at Marketing podcast. I'm your host, John Moran, again, alongside Brian Scanlon, founder of Look Left Marketing. In our opening episode, we discussed how the media and companies are dealing with COVID-19. And for this conversation, I thought it would be useful to sketch out a crisis framework. So, Brian, before we even just get into all of that, give our listeners a little sense, uh, some of the experiences or incidences that led you to develop this framework in the first place. Well, John, I've been uh, at this for more than two decades, and I've kind of seen everything from what I would call minor incidents, like downtime or, or product glitches, to you know very serious uh, security breaches or even horrible events like a workplace accident. Um, so, you know, no matter what which of those things happen, and no matter how prepared you are, the you know the one struggle I see time and time again is for people to be efficient in their time, gather information quickly and act on it as, as soon as, as they can. There just tends to be all this wind up and you spend all this time like, what do we do next? Do we need to do this? Or it's just helpful to kind of put in some guardrails that at least keep you focused. Well, with a crisis, people also, and we see it with COVID, the uncertainty that reigns. And it when, when people are uncertain of things, whether within their, themselves, their company, or these days within you know, our society, uh, it, p- people tend to procrastinate. They're not sure what's the right thing to do. And uh, that kind of hesitation can be dangerous. Yeah, I think you know, one of the best things you could do is act in a crisis. And one of the most dangerous things you could do is act too soon or act wrongly in, in a crisis. And I think when you, you have a, a situation facing you, if you can fall into a framework, particularly for those meetings with your crisis teams and be able to say, these are the actions that can happen. We can do some things. These are the things we can't do because we don't know, but we're going to put a timer on them and drive towards them. And that just keeps you focused and gives you uh, an opportunity to do things rather than spin around, second guess and debate all the time. And most companies have some sort of crisis plan that's been developed, it's probably sitting on a shelf somewhere, but I don't think anybody could foresee the the nature of the current coronavirus pandemic. So if you could, give us a little bit of an overview of what you call the EO framework. EO stands for end of, and it's an action-oriented framework for the meetings that you have every day as a crisis team. And it's a way to track progress and be held accountable Uh, for what has to happen immediately, the fires that are burning, and what you have to go get more information on and work on for a few days, or even for a month until you can you can deploy and and deal with that. So, you know, think of it in five parts. When you meet, you can put these five parts up every day. And the first one is, what do we have to do by end of day? This is the immediate stuff. This is what's really on fire, what you may legally be obligated or have to do by the end of the day. And sometimes these things pop up overnight and you, you learn something and, and you have to go put that fire out. So part two is end of week. There, there are things that require more information. They're slower burning. You're not even sure if they're a problem yet, but you're going to drive to the end of the week to do something about it. With COVID-19, uh, your end of day could be like, you know, a lot of our workforce is out sick today. How do we just keep the lights on? But your end of week might be like, 
how do we support those people that are out or do we have to change our HR policies? You know, things that that take a few days to to, to sort out. The third uh, bucket is end of month. Um, what do we have to do that's a little more long range and plan for? The fourth item is tomorrow's message. Do we need to communicate something tomorrow? Because we all know in a crisis, you need to over communicate in most cases. Um, so what is tomorrow's message to a particular audience? It could be employees, it could be shareholders, it could be uh, the world, anything. And the final one is parking lot, which is uh, stuff you want to acknowledge that's there, but you just can't deal with it right now. And you don't want to uh, keep debating those items. Now, by, by the nature of the word crisis, it's, it's complex. It's, it can be scary. Uh, this seems like a really simple approach. Well, I think simplicity is really what has to happen. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. I was involved in a crisis where I had to fly to Atlanta to go to a company that made um, some physical security uh, hardware. And this is a, you know, several years ago. And it took us a whole day just to source information. And, and we kept learning things and we kept resourcing. And a lot of time is, it can be wasted just trying to get everybody in a room and gather and, and get things. And what I, I like about the EO framework, and it's something we implemented is every day we have a starting point and we have a list and a framework of stuff that we have to deal with. And it's very time-based. Um, and because it's simple, it forces you to take all this complexity, uncertainty, and slot it somewhere. You know, it's either today, yes or no, this week, yes or no, end of month, yes or no, or it's just going to go off in the, in the parking lot. The other good thing about any kind of action-oriented program like this is it gives people a focus. And with focus, oftentimes comes confidence. In a crisis, everybody's shaken. But if they have that confidence, all right, that we have a plan, we're accomplishing things day by day, and they can see that because they're checking them off week by week, uh, that it gives people a sense of confidence and we can get this done. We can get through. You know, one of the things that I've always equated a crisis to is service in a restaurant. You have dinner, you have things, you run out of things, the floodgates open, you, you have a line out the door maybe, and you have to get through that day. And you can't go out to the dining room and basically say, we can't handle it, right? You've got to find a way to do that. And if you think about... Uh, in the old days, when I, I worked in restaurants growing up, the tickets kind of moved down the line and you would look at the tickets and, you know, as they come in, you sequence them, but you would also move them around a bit because you might be able to get a quick thing out. Maybe it's just a couple of salads and you just move it up and, and it goes and you can assign it out. And it's a very similar kind of mentality of we can't turn the crisis off. So how do we create a very simple structure to get us through the day to day? And you talked a little earlier in the conversation about putting out fires. How about a, a comment or two on how companies can find that balance between putting out the fires that are roaring today, but also making sure they don't uh, ignite new ones as well? I think you you have to have a crisis team where not everybody is focused on everything at the same time. People need to be able to work in parallel. You might have one or two people on your crisis team who are not involved in today's fires. It's their job to go, for example, 
meet with legal and determine long range legal liability or meet with finance and determine what kind of guidance you need to give. And that's, you know, the week away or the month away work that you need to to deal with. You have to split up. Uh, So much in a crisis will be solved by committee and that can't happen. You have a CEO. You have someone in charge of the crisis, maybe that is working with the CEO, and you need to make decisions quickly based on the input you got with that very small team. You know, it's not to say that you shouldn't collect a lot of input, but you spend a lot of time collecting and it bogs you down and you really need to make the best decision you can with the best information you have and you've done the best that you can to to get it in a timely manner. You mentioned also a little earlier, the parking lot. What have we got stored in the parking lot? So what happens in the crisis is you generally get a team together and so many things come out. You usually just throw it all up on a whiteboard. And that's why frameworks are really helpful because you can say, this is a end of day, end of week, end of month. Parking lot are for the things that you just can't deal with right now. So maybe, for example, you have a product failure. And someone comes up and says, well, we've already built this into the next iteration of the product. What should we do? I don't know. That's a parking lot item. Um, then, you know, if the next iteration of the product is not due for two quarters, you just throw it in the parking lot because you really can't deal with that today. Um, you know, it's a place where you don't want these things coming up every meeting and being debated again. So if someone says, oh, I want to address this issue. You could say, we put that in the parking lot. That's where it stays for now. Next item. And it just allows you to kind of triage topics and assign them in appropriate places. Because if they sit out nowhere, then you haven't dealt with them. And often they just keep recycling around and you, you just need to assign a priority to them. Does the tenor of a company's message change during a crisis? It does, without a doubt. I think the one thing that doesn't or shouldn't change is if you have good values and a good mission, that tenor remains and that should guide you in how you communicate and how you you act. If you don't have good values or you're violating them, then you know there's clearly uh, an issue. But certainly there's this you know notion of being confident yet acknowledging what happened and being very clear on what you do and don't know. Uh, often in communications, we, we focus everything on what we know, right? You know, and, and how we can help and all of this. In a crisis, you spend the same amount of time communicating to the outward, outside world what you don't know and what you're working on and what you're going to get, when you're going to get that information and, and put it out. Because if you don't raise those then they just come back at you like a re- they become a story the company didn't address or the company didn't have an answer. So it's really important to think of this terms of like what I know and what we're doing, what I don't know and what we're doing to figure that out. And it's just a, a good tenor for how you communicate. Are there telltale signs that a crisis might be over or is coming to an end and how does that impact communications? Well, generally, crises have uh, four stages. You know, there's the oh crap moment where you, there's there can be a lot of panic and a lot of flailing around because something went wrong, and then you kind of go into a working mode where you're you're fixing it, and eventually there's remediation. You you fix the problem, 
and then there's redemption. And that's that can be the longer road. I think a big mistake is people say, I may have fixed the problem, like there was a product flaw or we had a security breach. Okay, we've shored that up. But the redemption is just as important because people look at you differently moving forward. The good news is that most people have short memories for what I would say incidents, you know, minor crises or mistakes that company uh, companies make. I think we all remember there was that YouTube video came out where, you know, someone in Domino's, you know, picked their nose and they put it on a pizza and the company recovered just fine from that in a matter of months. But that's an incident, you know, that didn't involve death or or anything like that. There isn't a real bright line. The bright line is you fixed it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's over. You still have a lot of work to do with redemption and because you can't whitewash it. We see on TV all the the fixers, right? The Mr. Wolves that come in and uh, clean up the the Pulp Fiction mess like it never happened. That just doesn't happen in a crisis. I mean, the the internet has recorded your incident forever. So you've you've got to kind of you know operate in the shadow for that for a little while. But the the shadow gets dimmer and dimmer over time if you're being honest and truthful and and accurate. Any closing comments on crisis planning? Well, I think, you know, one of the things about crisis planning uh, is there there isn't a time machine. So much gets wasted up front on like, oh my God, how could we let this happen? It doesn't matter. It happened. You know, you can't page Doctor Who, bring the TARDIS in and go back in time. The sooner that you you turn that ship right into the storm, the better. Doesn't mean you should be reckless, but you need to address it head on and and deal with it. You can do the postmortem later. There are some exceptions, of course, to that. If the crisis finds itself repeating itself instantly, um, you see this with technology all the time. You know, there's downtime, and a day later they fix it, and there's downtime again. So, so that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look back and figure out what happened. But you can't go back in time and change it and pretend it never happened. If you'd like more detail on this topic, please check out Brian's blog, A Simple Framework for Crisis Action. It can be found at our website, simply enough, lookleftmarketing.com. You'll also find a great infographic on the same subject there. Now, we hope you'll subscribe to the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Again, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, we welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Speaking of upcoming programs, Sam Whitmore will be our guest next time. Sam runs Media Survey, has for 22 years now. It's a resource that's a must for anyone interested in tech marketing and PR. You won't want to miss it. Thanks again for joining us. Till next time, be well.